have another questions I have a lot is there is a test that we can do to say where am I or when I'll be in a pause or if I'm in a pause and I'm like no there's no such test if someone want to tell you that it's not existing when it is I'll be happy Welcome to This is Perimenopause, the podcast where we delve into the transformative journey of perimenopause and beyond. I'm one of your hosts, Mikkel. And I'm your other host, Michelle. And together, along with about a billion other people on this planet, we're embarking on this milestone of life. We personally struggled for years with perimenopause symptoms, and it took us a while to figure out what was happening. Even now, there are some days that are still a struggle. We know firsthand how confusing, overwhelming, and downright scary this phase of life can be. So we're on a mission to help others be better informed than we were when we started our journeys. Our podcast is a blend of health, education, mindset, and personal growth. We're sharing real-life stories and expert advice to help you navigate this journey and advocate for your best health. Because this stage in our life is an incredible opportunity. We used to think menopause signaled an end, but really, it's just the beginning. This podcast is for general information only. It's designed to educate, inspire, and support you on your personal journey through perimenopause. The information and opinions on this podcast are not intended to be a substitution for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. The information on this podcast does not replace professional healthcare advice. The use of the information discussed is at the sole discretion of the listener. If you are suffering from symptoms or have questions, please consult a qualified healthcare practitioner. Hey, Michelle, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. You had a good weekend? I did. It was super fun, but I'm coming off a little bit of a, I'm detoxing a little bit today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I feel though it's weird though. Now when I do have some drinks, I can feel it a few days later in like anxiety and like sadness and stuff. So it's like, I had so much fun on this weekend. Mm. Like, I'm feeling a little sad, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'll get over it. I am so excited uh, to have Karen here today. She's an expert in women's health and in her field. And um, Mikhail, why don't you take a second to introduce her? Great. Dr. Karen DeRosier is a member of the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists of Canada. She did her OBGYN specialty at Sherbrooke University in the province of Quebec. She's been working through Horizon and Vitality Health Network in Moncton, New Brunswick since 2004, as well as in a private gynecology clinic. She has a keen interest in menopause and is a board member of the Canadian Menopause Society, a member of the North American Menopause Society, and is a North American Menopause Society certified menopause practitioner. Karen is also a member of the International Menopause Society, the International Pelvic Pain Society, and the European Society of Contraception and Reproductive Health. She's currently working with Bioscient Pharmaceutical on a new treatment for PCOS, And uh, thank you, Karen. Uh, And thank you for being part of our mission to help uh, women become the heroes of their own health stories. Great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you to invite me. (laughs) Of course. course. Absolutely. It's quite the resume you've got there, Karen. Yeah. uh, I don't don't realize until you see it all (laughs) that I'm busy. I am busy, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it, it, clearly, clearly. I'm tired just reading your bio, never mind doing all <laughs> yeah. the things that you actually do. Yeah, amazing. Well, let's let's dig into that a little bit. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about you and a little bit um, about how you came to have such an impressive uh, bio. 
So, okay. So, um, as you said, I'm from Quebec. So, why my beautiful accent that I can lose? <laughs> it's a gorgeous accent. <laughs> it's not my. It's what my daughter said. But anyway, it's okay. <laughs> so, I'm from Quebec. I, like you said, I got my med school in uh, Sherbrooke, as well as my OBGYN specialty. Uh, moved in New Brunswick in 2003 with my husband that I met in med school. He's a neurosurgeon, so we're both specialists. Uh, we had two kids in our specialty when I did my residency. We had two kids, so we moved here with two kids for job uh, to find a, <laughs> oh a place for me and, and and him to work at the same place. So we came here. Um, I worked for 10 plus years at only in the public care. Uh, and then I slowly switch and transitions to uh, private care. Beside my work that you all say, I like uh, I, I like to be in some uh, public organism to help. So I did uh, for many many years until last year. I was in a, a, a association that was taking care of uh, women who want to get out of violence, so they have a safe house for them. Raising money for for uh, doing activities to raise money for them, and also I'm still on the committee for a, a group that help for mental health. Um, they help to decrease the bias and the, all the stigma uh, relate to uh, mental health, and help uh, people who has uh, mental health to recuperate through art, like uh, music or uh, painting or any kind of art. So, yeah. So I guess I'm I'm busy. <laughs> Uh, that would be an understatement. Like, do you, when do you sleep or do you sleep? Try to sleep every night. No, no. I, I sleep better since I'm, um, more in private care. I still work in public care, but not, uh, as doing calls. So, uh, having all my night to sleep, uh, instead of one of or each four nights being on call, make a major difference too uh, but yeah kind of a, it's a busy life but um yeah try to get times and have time for my kids and my family and friends also so try to have a balance yeah so so important <laughs> so important otherwise uh yeah it can be damaging right yep i i know too well yeah <laughs> are you comfortable talking with us a little bit about that oh I have no, no problem uh um, the thing is 2015, 2014, I can remember exactly, but I had a, a burnout uh, slash depression. So working uh, 50 to 90 hours, uh, hours a week, having three kids, had school plus uh, after school activities. And my husband was having the same kind of life. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and you try to be excellent in everything. It's a little, a little of a crash in 2015, but I took a year off to uh, recuperate and see what, what's next. Uh, I still love my job, so I didn't want to stop for sure. But I knew that if I go back in the same regime, that I will be the same and a second time won't be good. So um, at that time, I gave up my uh, in New Brunswick. We have practice number that you can practice uh, alone and by yourself in the public care. So I give it up to someone else who replaced me when I was away. And I decide to do replacement of my colleague when they were going away, which they love because they come back. They don't have piles of stuff on their mm -hmm. on their desk. So I did that. I did work at the French hospital 
Um, I was doing surgery assistance and I was working also at the family planning clinic. So I was quite busy as well, but I could, I have the choice to take time off if I wanted. And I saw one of my uh, friends uh, was opening a clinic for women's wellness and she approached me to see if I wanted to be uh, on their team to do gynecology in a private setting. That was in 2020 and uh, during pandemic. <laughs> and uh, I took the challenge and I decided to go there. So now I mostly do that. And also I still work at the family planning clinic uh, regularly. Uh, but I mostly work at the private clinic now, which I, which I love because I realize that I like to have time to talk to patients, which is uh, something we don't have in public care because in public care, it's more about how many patients you can see in one hour besides mm-hmm. having time to really give information. And it's uh, I love my colleague mm-hmm. and they, they do the, what they can, but it's how the system is. And I, it's what I was doing in the past. And multitasking, uh, mostly in OBGYN, you can have a patient in labor, doing your clinic, need to go to emergency to see one of your patients. And so you're pulling every ways and you don't really have time to focus on one things and be present only for the, your patient. You're always your head in pull in different ways. And I was, I think it's what gave me mostly my burnout is just, I want to do one thing at the times now. So Karen, are, are most of the people that coming are coming into your private practice, are they perimenopausal women or is it all sort of all kinds of women's health issues? I have a lot of perimenopausal and menopausal women. Um, also a lot of cases because, you know, when, when they come to see me, it's often because they're waiting for a long time to see our gynecologist or because they don't have even a GP to, do, to go talk to. So uh, it's usually a case that are not urgent, <laughs> case that uh, when you're in the public care, you, you cannot see, oh, you have, I have to see this patient in two months because it's possibly cancer, possibly something you need surgery rapidly. So sadly, those cases are pushed and people are, are affected. They're still maybe not urgent regarding like surgery or anything like that, but they have a really bad quality of life and they want to have answer. And a lot of patients just don't know what's going on. I see a lot of patients and they just say, I, I think I'm going crazy. I have this and that and I'm not feeling well. Or some people I also I have, my bleeding is horrible. It's irregular. And they just don't know that it's perimenopause or it's menopause coming in and they, they, they lack information about it. So they, they come to have this information. I see even people that saw gynecologists, but like I said, didn't have that much information about what was going on beside, oh, it's that, take this, bye-bye. Um, and so they were reluctant to take the, the medication or take the advice because they didn't really understand. So sometimes they just come to see me. And honestly, before I see them, I'm like, I don't know what I'll do. They already saw someone qualified that probably gave her the, the right treatments. But just because I take times to explain what it is, uh, and some of the patients they just want to know what's going on, and they're not ready for treatments. But at least they they know what is what is it, and they, what can be done if they need more help. Yeah, they know at least that they're not crazy, that they're not dying, or that you know it's not something awful and horrendous. But exactly, and sometimes they have like they don't think that it's all connected because it's such a area of different symptoms, like physical and psych- psychological. So sometimes they don't think that it's all related. So. 
what would you say, would you say that the, the vulvar, the vaginal issues are the most common? Or are you seeing, you know, women coming in with, you know, I have anxiety, depression, and they have no, you know, they've never experienced all before. Of that. Is there, is it ever, it's all, <laughs> all of the above? Of that, honestly. And sometimes yeah. they, I always ask everything because if they're in my office, I, I go through all the, the possibilities and, and sometimes they come because they have like anxiety or they have like, uh, they didn't sleep well at flashes or anything like that. Um, and then when I ask about vulva, so do you have any itchiness or dryness or any problem? They're like, oh, yes. And then it's something that they didn't bring by themselves. But if you question that, you realize that they had an issue or pain with intercourse or anything like that. So, right. um, yeah, so you have to, to fish for it sometimes because... People think it's normal or sometimes they think, oh, it's probably just a yeast infection, whatever. And they get treated multiple times. Never think, it's never work until someone really asks and check and like, it's not yeast infection. It's this and that. So, um, yeah, sometimes you're just not informed of what is normal or not. So. Well, and the other, the other crazy thing about perimenopause is that so many of the symptoms are could be symptoms of thyroid or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, or a yeast infection or, you know, it's, it's so difficult. So how do you, when these women come into your practice, how do you even begin to, to figure out like, is it, is it perimenopause or is it thyroid or? Well, the first time I see her, I can have an idea. It's uh it's perimenopause, but I still have to ask some blood tests because like you said, thyroid can mimic a lot of the perimenopause. I mean, it can affect your cycle your bleeding your mood your energy your it can affect everything your temperature so um yes we need some i need to clear out other stuff and i explain that to patient like most probably it's could be perimenopause and menopause and i explain what it is but i said we need to make sure it's not other other hormone imbalance but if i talk about hormone imbalance uh what i find sad sometimes is i see patients who pay thousands of dollars for blood tests that are not needed because when we treat perimenopause and menopause, the amount of blood tests that we really need to do are really limited. There's no need to do the thousand tests for hormone tests because I always said to the patient, I don't treat your level of hormones. That's not the point when we do treatment. It's to make you feel better. And there's no need to pay thousands of dollars for that. So that's one of the things that I want to say to people that you don't need to pay that much. I have another question I have a lot is there is a test that we can do to say where am I or when I'll be in a pause or if I'm in a pause. And I'm like, no, there's no such test. If someone want to tell you yeah. that, it's not existing. When it is, I'll be happy. So there's, there's no test that can predict when or where you are. It's more the symptoms, your cycle that can help you can help me. Uh, but it's another thing. There's no such test. Yeah, and the blood tests you're doing are really to rule out other things. Exactly, correct. It's physically for yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Karen, why do you think uh, the world knows so little about this phase of life that affects half of the population if they live long enough and can be? I mean, some women, some some individuals are lucky; they don't experience any symptoms. But what is it? Up to eighty percent of women are symptomatic yeah. and many of them debilitatingly so. Yeah. Why, do, why do you think we? it's such a mystery? One thing I think we did good to teach uh, young girls for their first period, but we did really poorly for women in perimenopause and menopause to teach them. 
One thing that didn't help is that uh, WHY study who came out in 2003 who blamed the hormones for breast cancer um, and other problems. But uh, since that study, some people keep going and follow what happened after because mm-hmm. we did learn a lot from that study and learn on right. to refine our counseling and who to treat and not to treat. Um, but some people just stop, stop there and a lot of things stop there. I mean, a lot of research stuff there, a lot of teaching stuff there. I mean, just in medical school, the amount of teaching we have on perimenopause and menopause is really limited or, and after that study was even less, uh, even in gynae, when you do your speciality, you don't have uh, dedicate times for perimenopause, menopause clinic. You, you go if you have someone in your, in your in the group or where you work who do menopause. But I mean, there's no uh, rotation like a dedication on menopause. Um, so you have the lack of information now of the new doctor. Was like since 2003, it's 20 years now. So of the new doctor, uh, some of the old one. I'm not saying everybody, but some of the old one. After that, started totally stop being implicated with hormones. Um, and having said hormones, there's a lot of treatments or uh, a lot of intervention that can be done on patients from menopause and perimenopause that doesn't implicate hormones. So family doctor don't. Uh, in the past, family doctor were able to take care of most of the case of menopause and the gynae was implicated for challenging cases. But now... Uh, they refer most of the case. So it's one of the reasons as well why there's so many months or years sometimes of delay before they can see one because even, uh, I'll say normal case, but a case that could be resolved in the past with a family doctor, now they send a referral to the gynae and it makes a lot of people to see. So it's getting better and there is some talk about getting more menopause teaching in med school. Um, and having more for patients as well on the on the internet because the problem with the internet is it, it's a good device but it's easy to find sorry crappy information because I I search sometimes for fun and there's some site that looks really legit and really interesting when I start but then it's to sell products and it's just a marketing things and then it turned out that it's a unrecognized products super expensive and I'm like oh so. It's it. We need to have something that is reliable, accurate information, and up to date. Do you have a go to site that you think does have some good quality information online right now? Uh, Menopause Foundation of Canada have a really good. It's it's pretty new. Also, it's maybe two years max, and it's a really good device as well. Good information. Um, North American Menopause Society, which they changed their name last week, I think, to yeah. Menopause Society. So probably uh, for now, you, when you search that, it will still bring you to that website. But anyway, it changed. I have a good information as well for patient. Um, I always said to patient, if you have a website that is done by a recognized university, <laughs> major university, it's usually a, a good website. But be careful with anything with marketing and products to sales because good, reliable, accurate website information, they usually don't sell products. We just discuss it and we don't sell products. That makes sense. Um, So in addition to those resources, are there things that 
uh, women can do that you would suggest that they do if they're they're feeling lousy, they don't understand what's going on, and they're coming in to see uh, you or their GP. What what do they do to prepare? What would you suggest they do? When you go to doctor, I'm the same. I always forget half of my questions, half of what I want to say. So now, because I have my perimenopause brain going on, like brain fog, whatever, mm-hmm. I write everything. Because I will forget. <laughs> and so write your symptoms, uh, everything. Because sometimes, like I said, you don't think it's related, but it could be. So write everything. Uh, write the severity of it, like how it impacts you, how it impacts your quality of life. Because sometimes we can tackle many things at the same time with treatments, but sometimes we have to decide, okay, wh- which one is the worst for you? Which one impact more your quality of life? And so it's a starting point at least so we go there so and sometimes if it's bleeding problem uh, you can take uh, charts of your cycle and there is really beautiful apps for that for taking care of taking care of your uh, cycle also sometimes you can link some symptoms you can have on a chart so it's on, it helps the doctor sometimes mostly when perimenopause you can have like more severe PMS so it's good to have an idea okay when do you have your worst symptoms or not uh, if you had recent blood works or investigation, yeah. uh, sometimes it's good to bring them. It uh, could be useful for the doctor. Um, if you have any questions, to write them so you won't forget to ask them if the doctor didn't answer it with the, the, the information they give you. So I, there is a, a thing that online, also, I think it's linked with the Menopause uh, Foundation of Canada, but it's uh, MQ6. It's, um, it's a questionnaire. It's a, They don't have all the symptoms of menopause, but it's a good start to see if it's worth it to go uh, and to talk to your doctor. I mean, um, which is sad, like I said, it's some doctors don't ask the questions. Uh, sometimes they forget. Sometimes it's because they don't feel at ease to answer them and give advice. So they prefer not asking so they don't have to answer. But um, I find that every doctor should ask the questions about Mostly the main symptoms of menopause, like an MQ6, it's a good start. I mean, hot flashes, trouble to sleep, dryness, uh, anything like that. And you need to ask the questions. Like I said, sometimes people get shy or think they have to suck up with that. So they don't think that it's something they should discuss with their family doctor, with the gynecologist. Or uh, they think they talk to their parents or their mom or their friends and they say, oh, it's part of life. There's nothing to do. Or even a doctor, I have many doctors said that to their fa- patient. Oh, I suck it up. It's uh, it will pass. Uh, wow. Which which is a long period to wait because sometimes if you count perimenopause and menopause, it could be 10 to 15 years. So it's a long period to feel crappy. So, I mean, it's you need to talk to someone and and like I said, uh, if it's uh, your family doctor or anybody, I mean, bring the subjects if they don't ask you. Well, and I think to our experience, um, both Michelle and I uh, have been very symptomatic. And our experience has been that we needed to find the information and go to our medical providers and say, no, look, we're pretty sure this is what this is and we need help. And we've read about this type of treatment. Can we talk about this? And that's when we were able to start getting answers. But until that time, um, we were regularly dismissed. In fact, I've had uh, I had more than two providers say to me, well, if you're not having hot flashes and your periods aren't irregular, then you're not in perimenopause, which is not true, right? 
No, but like I said, there is a, a lot of area of treatment. So you need someone that have a, a knowledge of all those treatments, which is hormonal and non-hormonal. Because yeah. one of the things we learn with the WHY, it's, um, it's not black or white. Everybody is different. You have to individualize the treatments and see each patient risk and benefits. And because the best way you have a patient to follow your recommendation, if they understand and agree with you, if you force something to a patient, they won't take it. Um, what would you say is the most common thing? I, maybe Mikelda already sort of asked this question. The most common symptom that people are coming in with? Yeah, for sure. Hot flashes is one of those. I think that the mood things, they, they find that they get more angry or less patience or that was me. More, more anxious, more depressed. And it's like I said, there is a big stigma around mental health. So a lot of the patients are, they don't, I was there at that time. You don't want to admit that you may have depress, depression or depressive symptoms. And I, when I explain to patients that 40% of perimenopause women have depression, even if they had no history of mood disorder in the past, it's just because of the change of hormones. And I think it's uh, it's one of the big ones that patients like, I don't feel good, I don't have energy. And it's uh, almost more that than hot flashes. Because I think people know that hot flashes is related with perimenopause and menopause. But a lot of people doesn't don't know that mood change or brain fog or all that symptoms can be related also or joint pain, which is something we know now that joint pain, joint stiffness is one of those. And um, a lot of people don't know that. So I said, oh, it's part of menopause or perimenopause, you know, and it's like, really? So uh, we still have a lot to teach patients about, yeah. For women, especially women who have not had depressive symptoms before or anxiety or, you know, those mood symptoms or, or, or mental health challenges, what is the best course of treatment? But it's, it always depends also if the patients have other symptoms mm-hmm. of menopause, menopause. When you are in the perimenopause time, mm-hmm. we know that estrogen, mm-hmm. the, the most of the study are with transdermic estrogen with patch. But we know that estrogen will be as effective as antidepressant. And people have to understand that the symptoms can be three to four years before the actual menopause to three to four years after. You have to be careful to not to stop it too early because then when you stop it, you'll still be in depression. So you have to usually cover, sadly, a good six to eight years. And I go with hormones also if they have other symptoms like hot flashes or if they have like brain fog can have a little bit or trouble to sleep. So someone who's already on antidepressant and got worse around perimenopause, because that Mm -hmm. that happened also, if you add the uh, estrogen, that can help also. And and I I know that there's not a lot of study and research out there at this time, and hopefully that's changing as well. But I've heard, and you may disagree with this, but that the HRT can also help with you know, some preventative things. So it could have maybe some support for your your bone health, your your brain health, all of those things are starting to, to ha- what do you think about? Yeah. But the good things with people who follow the aftermath of the WHY <laughs> uh, study, 
realize that, okay, so what we learned from that also is if you give hormone therapy to someone who has menopause for 10 plus years, we probably already have some vascular disease because we know that when estrogen go away, it affects the blood vessels. Mm -hmm. Then you can increase heart disease and increase dementia because a lot of dementia is vascular as well. But if you start early, the, the first 10 years or even before menopause itself, um, it can have a presentative, uh, like a preventive uh, for heart disease and, and dementia. There's a few studies that they, they research it now and they said that it's possible, yes, that it can protect if you start early mm-hmm. uh, compared if you start later after menopause. Yeah. So we don't give it to someone just to prevent, but if they have other conditions or other symptoms, uh, then it, it can help. And then it's another benefit I see to patients because in the news and in the media, they likes to bring up the, the bad, but they don't bring up the good. Like it decreased colon cancer, decreased osteoporosis. It's, <laughs> they don't bring that. And, and it's why I need people need to be aware of all the other things as well, not just the bad things. I think, too, people often make the assumption that if something is natural or if it's a supplement, then it's safe. But that's not true either, right? No, it's. I always said to people, you have to be careful. First of all, when they have, when it's quoted as a natural product, they really don't have the same research needed to approve the medication, first of all. And they have absolutely no need and no obligations to reveal or to report any adverse event. Um, and we have a bit more retrospective study now about people who takes, took those natural products. Like I said, it was a big marketing after WHY study. It, a lot of, of a company was like, wow, we can have money with that. And we know now that the risks are the same. The only problem is they don't have to do a study but also because, like I said, they don't have to report anything bad that happened with their hormones or, or their natural product. So mm-hmm. natural doesn't mean good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, for and even something specific like black cohosh is often touted as something that is really great for hot flashes, but that can cause liver damage, right? And I think most people don't recognize that. But you know what? When we, uh, I'm in the menopause, like I said, the menopause society of Canada. And when, when they, they did the new guidelines, they did check yeah. all of those natural products, and didn't show to be that effective at not not more than placebo, honestly. And one of the problem with those natural products is we don't have long term yeah. study of the effects. And mm-hmm. lacosh can have effects on the liver, so we don't know if long term it's it, how it will damage or if you will do any problem in the liver. So um, the same for the dosage. Some people say, oh, it's natural. I can take as much as I want. Well, <laughs> no, there's some medication that is not recommended <laughs> to take as much as you want. And, it, and it's, I mean, it's a misconception that is bring on a lot by misinformation on internet. That's one of the problem. And it's mm-hmm. not the patient's fault. It's just mm-hmm. the way it is on the internet. You have to be careful. What about, Karen, um, progesterone? Um, I know that a lot of practitioners that focus on hormone health, if you will, often prescribe progesterone. The progesterone, honestly, was given at some point for only reason that because it was protecting the uterus. Because mm-hmm. at first, when they 
start hormone steroid pill, they were giving just estrogen and they realized that it was a high, a high rate of uh, endometrial cancer. And they realized that you have to add progesterone. Mm -hmm. Progesterone by itself, not that useful, honestly. If you compare to estrogen, no, it's absolutely not the same range of results. The tendency now is to decrease the amount of progesterone we give as much as we can to be safe for the uterus. Uh, because there might be some implication of the progesterone with breast cancer. The rules now, it's basically to give it, but not in too much amount, like enough to control and prevent uterine cancer, but it's not the main stay of the treatments if you want to help patients with hormones. We're getting close to time here, so I just want to be mindful. Um, we wanted to ask you, Karen, uh, what's the one thing you want every, you would want every woman, you know, in their mid to late thirties to their fifties and beyond, or maybe to their fifties, if we just focus on perimenopause, what is it that you'd want them to know about perimenopause? Well, first of all, they, they don't have to suck up with all the symptoms. They don't have to <laughs> have an horrible quality of life. Yes, it's part of life. Some people have it easy, some people don't, but Hormones or non-hormones, we have options. Some, if someone has contraindication to hormones, we have options. So just that they know that we something can be done. They don't have to go through it feeling miserably. And there is hope. Just to tell them there is hope as well. There's a lot of work now on menopause, way more than we have in the past. Uh, there's new products that will come out for at flashes that will be non-hormonal, that will be working really, really good. And in the future, I think we'll have more and more new products for menopause and perimenopause. So if you're 35, this is good because, or maybe 30, it's perfect timing because in five years, we'll have all the solutions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and honestly, there is a good book. And I always suggest that book when I see patients that like uh, it's the mm -hmm. Menopause Manifesto by Dr. Jen mm -hmm. Gunter. She's a, she has one for the younger one, like explaining what is menses and vaginal discharge and all that, and STI and everything. But you have another one, and it's more for the 3550 that explain what is perimenopause, all the symptoms. They discuss, she discussed the, uh, all the hormonal treatments, natural treatments, vitamins and everything. So it's really a good book if you want to get prepared for that period, because that's uh, the best you can do is to get prepared and get informed. Absolutely. Well said. Amazing. Said. Um, thank you, Karen, so much uh, for giving us your time because we know you don't have very much of it. <laughs> and thanks, oh, and thanks okay. for all of your support. Um, you know, we, uh, Amy, I don't know, Amy's our producer. She's sitting in the background quietly. She, uh, I don't think she knows this, but Michelle came across uh, Amy through a news article on the CBC. Karen. Or sorry, Karen came across Karen yeah. on a news article of the CBC. And we reached out and despite how busy she is, she jumped in headfirst and said, absolutely, I'd love to be an advisor for you guys and help out. And um, she's been a fantastic resource. So thank you so much, Karen. It's been wonderful talking to you today. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. Wow, that was a great interview. I learned so much from Karen. Michelle, I can't believe you reached out almost like a cold call. And now Karen is 
not only a guest on our podcast, but also helps you out on thisisperimenopause.com. Yeah, it's pretty, she's pretty amazing, especially as Mikkel pointed out how busy she is, that she, uh, she reached back and showed an interest and she's been with us for, I guess, about a year now. She does a lot of vetting of our articles and, and things like that when we do something that's a bit more science-based. And since you already know, Karen, um, Mikkel, did you learn anything you didn't already know? I don't know that I necessarily learned anything new, but I think what it underscored for me or really reinforced is there are solutions and it's not big and complicated and scary. It's really just about uh, individuals who need help finding someone who is knowledgeable and can help them sort out what's going on. I think it can seem like a very scary and daunting process to get help for perimenopausal symptoms. And it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be, it's really, it's, it's information is power, right? And, and for me, selfishly, when we started talking down the HR rabbit hole, I have an appointment tomorrow for, with my OBGYN uh, and Mm -hmm. he's, he's Mm -hmm. mentioned that HRT may be the solution that he's going to recommend after some test results. So I, I kind of wanted to, okay, so Pat, what am I like, what am I asking for? (laughs) Can we back up? Um, so I may call her later. No, but um, so that was really fascinating for me. I was really interested in that. Well, now you're armed with a little more information, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Well, thank you for inviting her on. I think that uh, myself and hopefully everyone who's li- listening to this uh, learns a little bit more about it and also does, you're right, Mikhail, feels a little more uh a little less, I guess, a little less intimidated about the process and getting started and getting help. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and subscribe to our podcast. When you do this, it helps to raise our podcast profile so more women can find us and get a little better understanding of what to expect in perimenopause. We also read all the reviews, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to help us continuously improve our show. We would love to hear from you. You can connect with us through the podcast, on social media, or through our website. Our information as well as links and details from our conversation today can be found in the show notes. 